Good morning. Very good to be back here with you after a couple weeks away. Uh, two weeks ago, I was uh, in Hamburg, Germany at the Ark Church, uh, where they were putting on their annual Cornerstone Conference. And we were using that weekend for the Sovereign Grace European Fellowship to have our first gathering of pastors and churches we're connected with in different parts of Europe together. So we invited them to the conference and then spent a few days with them afterwards. That included some of our dear Belarusian friends that we were able to uh, pay for them to get there and stay and engage. We had uh, 17 in that fellowship for a few days, 17 pastors from 10 churches in five nations who are gathered together. Uh, predominantly this time, just getting to know each one. We gave each of the men just extended time to talk about how they came to the Lord. How did God bring them into ministry? Uh, about their family, what are their challenges uh, in life and ministry? And then we talked about, and each nation represented, uh, what is our vision of how we can help one another to see the church move forward in each of these places. It was a, a very sweet time, a very fruitful time, but it was also a, a, a bit of an overwhelming experience uh, in ways that I, I hadn't anticipated. The day before the conference began was the day that uh, dear Luda, or Lita was, uh, had her court appearance and was sentenced to two years in a labor camp. Uh, they accused her of uh, being violent and disturbing the peace and attacking people during the massive demonstrations when in fact she with other members of the church were handing out Bibles praying with people, and sharing Christ. Uh, we were uh, trying to connect with our Belarusian friends as they were dealing with this heartache, uh, sharing, trying to share videos back and forth with uh, Lita to communicate our concern. And uh, with all that's going on, she has this short time that she's at home before she then has to go to the labor camp. Uh, I'd asked if it's possible, maybe they could just make a brief video thanking our church for praying. Fifteen minutes later, the video that you saw last week, they sent to us. So there was just a lot of emotion going on uh, with that. Then uh, one of the Belarusian pastors told me he had just found out that the government has uh, made an edict that no one is allowed to rent any building for any religious purpose. Friday, Sunday, his church can't meet. There is no place for them to go. So every church that is renting a facility has to find some place for free, some place that has room. And was, what do we do? Even now, young men are no longer allowed to leave the country between the ages of 18 and 27 uh, as the possibility of expansion of the war. Uh, is looming. Uh, the first day of the conference, I met a Ukrainian pastor. I was with some of the Belarusian friends. You can show this slide. And as uh, my friend was introducing me to this Ukrainian pastor named Michael, he starts describing him. And I, wait a minute. Are you the pastor Michael from... Nepper that we have been praying for that all of our churches has been sending money to. I've, I've shared emails that you've sent to us, to our church. And 
You should have seen his face. He didn't know me. He hadn't met me. And as he heard that we pray for him, and we are one of the churches that has sent money to him. He's in uh, an area where, uh, of warfare where uh, huge numbers of refugees have been passing through. Their church has been turned into a dorm where they have hundreds of people every day that they feed. Uh, Every spare foot of space, they have beds put up. He described just the work of changing the linens of every bed every day. The work of feeding all of these people. And then you're still seeking to conduct ministry uh, to the people. He says, I sleep a few hours a night. And then that evening, the next photo, we had uh, an informal tea we put together with some of the Belarusian pastors, and there were a dozen Ukrainian pastors attending the conference. And the two groups were getting to know each other, kind of sharing what, what their experiences are, what each of them are going through. And as the, the man in the center of the picture with the black shirt, as he was talking to our Belarusian brothers, a, a German pastor leaned over, whispered in my ear and said, that pastor had two sons abducted, tortured, murdered, and burned. And yet, he stays. He preaches the gospel week by heart breaking week. The last night of the conference, I had a dinner with this pastor, also Ukrainian. Uh, his name is Victor. I found out we're the, the same age. We both are pastors of churches in the areas where we were raised, but our experience is very different. He is from the Donbas region, which is one of the eastern separatist provinces that back in 2013, pro-Russian groups had pulled out of Ukraine. So there has been fighting going on around where he lives since 2013. He, he lives right at the heart of it. Uh, he described in detail what it's like when those rockets strike, when the devastation that happens, not just where it strikes, the surrounding area. He, Talking about there are no government services, there is no transportation. They dug a well in front of the building just so people can have water. Surrounded by chaos. And he says, it's not just that huge crowds of people come on Sundays, which they do, looking for hope. He says, it's all day, every day. People are just coming. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to live. They don't know how to think. They're like children just coming. And all day, he just is dealing with people whose lives have come apart. And he doesn't know how to handle it all, but he stays and preaches Christ. As I was taking all this in, you're thinking, what what do I do with this? I'm thinking of this man. uh, He leaves tomorrow, I leave. I go here, I go home. He goes back to death, destruction, heartache, 
So I, I sat in that hotel room and opened my Bible to the verses I knew I would be preaching next. Trusting in it that God would meet my soul and help our souls and help us as we're caring for others. It is both heavy to hear all of this, but this is important. God has put us here in this time and has, he has built these relationships and he has allowed these opportunities so that we could be a church already praying and already prepared and already committed to some of God's people in hard parts of the world. And the impact you see in faces as you assure them of our prayers. It is a gift that God is graciously allowing us to give. May we cherish it. May we use that gift of praying for them well. Because God, the one who has answers to this, God is hearing. He is faithful. And he will show each one of them that he is faithful. So turn in your Bibles, Hebrews 7. As we, we read these verses that God has given us for this day. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your word that you gave to us out of your heart and concern for us, that it, it would sink deep in our souls and our thoughts and our lives and the fullness of your intention for us would be seen. Help us to gather in the great hope that you give us in Christ. And we again pray for our beloved in these hard places that they too would know this day something of the presence and power and faithfulness of you, their Savior, their King. It is to you we come and pray and offer ourselves, Lord Jesus. Amen. So how does 
yet another sermon and passage on the priesthood of Jesus actually help us? We've had now a number of passages working through Hebrews, this long section that keeps presenting to us this concept that part of how Jesus is exalted and cares for us is that he is not only a great high priest, he is better than all other priests. That Hebrews would continue on chapter after chapter dealing with this, lets us know that in the sight of God, this is important. This is truth we need to know. And so the Bible just keeps leaning and pressing us into what we so need to understand. Because a priest is one in Scripture who intercedes to God who is able on our behalf. And the high priest is one who intercedes on our behalf in the greatest need that we have to bring a payment for sin to those separated from God, to to bring restoration through the sacrifice by the, the payment of blood for sin that has cast us from the gracious presence of God. We don't have priests in the church anymore because Christ is our priest. And there is no one left. There's no need for the office. So we're not usually using that language and always thinking in those terms. But the fact that Christ is the one who intercedes to the Father for us is something we need. And he wants us to see it, to be encouraged by it. These verses bring to a crescendo the ways in which Jesus is greater than all other intercessors, how he stands alone in his care for us. And I had mentioned to some of the people with me over the time in Hamburg, you, you listen to those so overwhelmed and you start to think, oh, I don't have any real problems. And we don't have problems that measure our experience. It's hard to even understand what they're going through. But in reality, uh, troubles rain down on all of us and in ways that are very real to each of us. We need help. We have burdens. There are things that we can't control, that we don't understand. We can't fix it. No one we know around us can fix it. We're constantly being promised. Those who say, I'm going to come and fix it, either vote for me or listen to me, or buy this, or do this, and life is going to be so much better. And each one of them who claims it or says it is just as weak as we are. Just as helpless before the evil that pervades this world. And who in this world can even begin to bring up concrete answers to the reality of death and eternity that each one of us faces. Hebrews keeps hammering away at Jesus being our high priest and intercessor because we need to decide who are we going to trust to intercede for us? Who will we look to? Who will we believe in? 
Who are we calling out to? Who will we follow? Christ wants us to entrust ourselves entirely to him. That by himself he is sufficient to intercede for us. That is why we saw back in chapter 4 and verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. As Jesus is the one who intercedes so wondrously for us, hold to him. Cling to what we know is true. Hold fast to that confession. Do not look to the left or the right. Do not be distracted. Do not be detoured. Focus yourself on Christ. That we would be so confident in him that whatever we're going through, our response is always running to him. Which he says then in the following verses, chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everyone has opinions. Jesus is the solution that actually works. We hear lots of assurances. Jesus himself is the guarantee. Jesus, the guarantee. And so, how is Jesus so much better as an intercessor? What exactly makes Jesus, as we've already sung about this morning, what makes him trustworthy? Why do we go to him and we are not distracted or pulled aside by any other? We see four, four things in the passage as we meet in community fellowships tonight. Each of these are areas to talk through, to think about. The first, how is Jesus so much better as our intercessor? Verses 23 to 24, because he is the only permanent intercessor. The former priests were great many in number because they are prevented by death from continuing in office, meaning every generation there had to keep being more and more priests because like every other person, every priest would die. And so there are thousands and thousands of priests that were given to intercede on behalf of the people. Christ is different. Verse 24, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. The word used here for permanent was used for legal contracts, unbreakable, done Jesus is the only intercessor who's permanent. He doesn't have a a time of office. He doesn't have a period in which he's able to help us and then cannot. Jesus has come. He died. He was raised. He reigns. And there he stays permanently. The one who reigns and cares for us. He never stops being all that he claimed, and Jesus claims a lot. He claims to be God in flesh, the only Son of God. He claims to be the way to eternity. He claims to be the righteousness of God, the one who 
is able to pay the debt of our sin. He claims to be the light of the world. He claims to be the truth we need. Jesus claims to be the fulfillment of all that we need for life forever. And Jesus is the only one permanently in that place to represent us. Do your burdens continue? They just seem to go on. But Jesus, we're told here, verse 24, he continues forever. Your burdens may be long. Jesus continues forever. He will outlast your burdens. He will always be there. This is how Pastor Victor survives his intolerable circumstances. This is what he had to say to me. I emotional health. I have angst and sleeplessness. If I said I'm not afraid, it would not be true. People come confused, afraid, without hope. We want to be an example, so we stay. I, I have attacks of panic, weakness. He spoke of it coming at night. But then God reassures me that I can continue. We used to pray for revival, but it didn't come as we expected. We have 40 believers left in our church. The hundreds of other people that attended have all fled. They've all left that part of the country. But 800 people fill the building every Sunday. How do we get up again and continue? Because Jesus is always there continuing in all that he has promised, in all that he is. He continues, the Son of God, the Savior, the King, the one who cares so deeply for us, he became flesh and died for us. The one who cannot get us out of his mind or heart because he is given entirely to us. His commitment is complete. It continues forever. How is Jesus so much better as our intercessor? He not only is the only permanent intercessor, Jesus secondly is the only all-powerful intercessor. Verse 25 Consequently, he is able. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He saves to the uttermost, meaning whatever it takes to save, he does. He's able to do whatever needs to be done Whatever your need is, whatever your depravity is, whatever your obstacles are, however hard it is, however weak you are, however oppressed you are, how much is gathering around you and pressing in, he is able to save to the end forever, whatever it is. He is able. No one else can save, let alone save to the uttermost, except for the person of Christ. He is able. He alone is able to save forever. You, and hold you, and 
keep you and sustain you forever. For who can get in his way? Who can step between the Lord Jesus and you? No one. No one can stand between you and the Lord Jesus. No circumstances can get in between you and the grace of the Lord Jesus. There are no enemies that can gather and make it harder for Jesus. That includes you and your weaknesses. Nothing overwhelms him who is almighty, who is able to save to the uttermost. Verse 26 says, he is the one exalted above the heavens. His greatness is to what cannot be comprehended. And so that's where your solutions are. Your solutions are not found on earth and the opinions of what people can do and what they think. Your solutions are in the heavenly places where Jesus reigns and rescues, where he is taking you. Are you unable to stand against sin, against your struggles? Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. That means what, whatever sin kind of has wormed its way in, has become habitual, is comfortable, Jesus is able to save forever, completely out of whatever it is. He is able. I've been trying, I can't. Right, he is able. It doesn't say you are able, he is is able. And so we trust in him. We follow him. We obey him. We stay close to him. We connect ourselves as closely to Christ as we can day by day because he is the only one able to save to the uttermost forever. This is how Pastor Michael handles the burdens that he faces every day. This is part of what Michael shared with me. He said, every day we are confronted with death, destruction, and the suffering of people. But all this pales in comparison to the glory and mercy of Christ. When people ask, where's God in all of this? We point to Christ on the cross and say, there he is suffering for you. We see the miracle of the gospel changing hearts. Many who come for food Leave with Jesus. And he makes sure he baptizes each one before they leave when they confess Christ. We have several hundred people attend every Sunday. Many of them are hearing the gospel for the first time. With all that we endure, here's his perspective. God keeps Giving and giving. How do you persevere? Because God keeps giving and giving. He is able to. He, he doesn't wear out. He doesn't get tired of hearing from you. He doesn't get tired of looking at the same struggle. We wear out. We can be tired of hearing from those we're praying for. We get wearied by their burdens 
Jesus never does. He is the only permanent intercessor who is the all-powerful intercessor. Thirdly, how is Jesus so much better? He is the only ever faithful and attentive intercessor. Again, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This gets back to his unweariness, his commitment. He always lives. He not only is alive, but his desire and his commitment is ever faithful. He is unshakable in how he takes all that he is and pours it forth on our behalf and stands for us and intercedes for us always, moment by moment, continuously, always interceding for us. Even when we're not aware of it, we don't see it, we don't feel it, Christ is there standing for us. This is a crucial part of holding fast our confession that we just read from chapter 4. I don't think we struggle so much with the truth Jesus is able to. Where we struggle more is, is he willing to? Or is he tired of me? Is he disgusted with my weaknesses? Is he so frustrated with me that he's distant? Is For others he is, but for me he is not. That's what tends to come in, that God somehow has distanced himself from us, that he's not as committed to us as to others. It's this willingness of God that the enemy just keeps working away at, trying to chip, trying to wedge our heart from fully believing He is the one just keep running to. Do you wonder if God is still near? If he's involved? We just then keep looking to the cross and spend spend some moments considering what level of intensity Did it require of Jesus to go to the cross? What commitment was within him to stay on the cross when he could have come down at any time, when as Jesus said, I could call for legions from the Father? And he stayed. What required that of him? What commitment was there? That same intensity of commitment is there now. It has not lessened. It has not changed. The cross was the wondrous moment of his death and sacrifice for all, but that was not the the high moment that ended now his commitment and effort. That was the moment that made all he had planned to do real and successful for us, but his commitment, his intensity, his love, his effort just continues. It's all he can be, that all that he is is poured forth continually. He ever lives to intercede for you, ever. This is how Lita faces her uncertainty and the injustice against her. She wrote, when the trial was over, I returned to the cell, collapsed, exhausted, on an iron bed without a mattress. Weakness flowed through my body. 
But a passage from Hebrews was brought to my mind. She didn't have a Bible there, but God brought this passage. It, it tells us to run to the throne of mercy and grace to find help at the right time. God brought to her mind Hebrews 4. Whatever the verdict, I entrust my fate to God and him alone. He knows what is best and right for me. God is faithful. Now everything depends on him. God is good. I ask God for mercy. Let this sentence not be a barrier for me to worship him and to keep my conscience clean before his face. Jesus is the only permanent intercessor. Jesus is the all-powerful intercessor. Jesus is the ever-faithful intercessor. And then to sum it up at the end of the passage, Jesus is the only perfect intercessor. Verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later in the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is our unimprovable help. It's not that Jesus can help you. Look to Jesus, he can help you. And if you want to, there's other things that can help you as well. Jesus, yes, Jesus can help you. There's lots of things that can help you. There's lots of direction you can go. You can take some of Jesus. You can take some of something. No, it is nothing like that. It is Jesus all alone only. For no one else is permanent, no one else is all-powerful, no one else is ever faithful. Jesus alone. No one else has died to pay the debt of your sin. No one else has by his own power raised himself from the dead, overcome all that assails us and stands, committed, reigning, interceding for us. Only Jesus. Every priest, every intercessor, everyone with good intentions who wants to help you, every single one is also a sinner. Filled with corruption, weakness, selfishness, misunderstanding, uncertainty. Jesus alone was untouched, we see, by these things. He alone is innocent, holy, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Only Jesus cares for us out of perfection. No one else even understands what that is. No one else in this world even knows what it is to be perfect. No one ever has been. Perfect of heart, perfect of mind, perfect of conscience, perfect of effort. Only Christ is perfect, unimprovable. Why would we turn to any other place or person or wisdom when it is Jesus alone unimprovable. People of good intentions give corrupt guidance even when they're trying their hardest. They can lead us horribly astray. Think of one of the areas that has just become so dominant in our culture right now, that of gender identity. And so you, you have people who are, are trying to take those really struggling, people with questions, people struggling with identity, people confused and mixed up, that they're wanting answers. And we have people so giving answers and giving direction but they're speaking of things of which they don't know. And they're giving direction 
to undergo this surgery or take these drugs or change your body or believe that you're something else. And they have no idea, no experience, no understanding of where will this lead? What will it leave you with? They don't know. They don't understand the human soul. Were they there when life came out of nothing? Were they there when God spoke and created male and female, made them for the joy of what his perfect creation intended? And now, after a millennium, we're going to just move it all around and none of it matters. Trust us, it'll all work out. By what authority, by what guarantee? When we, when we believe and swallow the, the wisdom of those who don't know, who can't make it work, who did not create the foundations of who we are, only God did that, could do that. And when, when we listen to others who then are are speaking to how we should live. And we are left with the brokenness and the heartache that comes from following those, however well-intended they are, who just don't know and are trying to figure it out for themselves rather than trust Christ who knows, who understands, who's committed, who's perfect, who's eternal. He's faithful. All that God does, he does well. He does what is, verse 26, fitting. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. God does whatever is the perfect way to make life work, the perfect way to save us, the perfect way to keep us, the perfect way to guide our lives. He does what is perfect, what is fitting, what is good, what is best. He is incapable of being or doing less than that. And so he can be trusted. Jesus is all we need, so trust him in all that happens. Now, we're not tempted as the original readers back when this letter was first given to the church. We're not tempted as they were, as Jewish people raised under the old covenant. They're not, we're not tempted to go back to Levitical worship. We're not tempted to go back to the temple and the forms that they did. But we are tempted every day to look past Christ, which was at the heart of their going back. We're all tempted to look past Jesus, to look by Jesus. We're tempted to say, it's, it's my life. I can handle it on my own. I can handle this part of it. Or we're tempted to, to think that this little compromise, it, it's going to make life better. God, God wants my life to be good. We're tempted to think the whole culture says it's true. I, I can't ignore that. We're tempted to think, I'm just so tired waiting on God. This will make me feel better. I'm just going to do this. I just want it to be better. We're all tempted to look beyond Christ. We appropriately admire the believers whose testimonies I shared. We hear that and we're amazed. We're 
trying to fit what, what would I do? How would I think? And yet, if you ask them, they're just ordinary, struggling Christians. That's all they see. Just, I'm just another Christian. I'm struggling. I can't sleep at night. I have panic attacks. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed. Or even as Michael said, you're trying to serve these people. He says, you know what? Sometimes I just get sick of their attitudes. We're just regular, struggling believers. And they're all tempted to look beyond Christ. So what is this faith we see that we admire? It's just ordinary, simple, biblical faith. We believe what it says. And we believe in the Christ it exalts. And so to this, we will entrust ourselves. We will believe Jesus. We will entrust ourselves. We have to entrust ourselves to someone, to something. We choose Jesus who in grace chose us. The power of their faith, what makes it strong? Jesus, whom they trust. Because he really does always live to intercede for them. Do you need grace? Do you need help? Do you need a savior? Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Are you tired? Are you just worn out? Jesus always lives to intercede for you. So I leave you with this. Jesus cares for you, you by name. Believer, Jesus cares for you perfectly, faithfully, forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you who know every heart here, speak to them your lips, your voice, their heart. Sustain them. Build faith into them. Encourage them how they need you. And together we pray for anyone here who has never entrusted themselves to Jesus who takes away the guilt of sin, who brings us to life. May they see Jesus wondrous, dying and living for them. Draw them to yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.